On today's More Than a Test, we're joined with the superintendent and the head of talent development from Ector County. Now, this is the first time we've had two people at once, and we kind of did a strange thing where we, we recorded it separately and together at the same time, but it was a really important conversation. What Dr. Murray has done in Ector County in Texas is he is focused on teacher development first as a way of turning around their district. They went from having 30% of classrooms without teachers to 1% this year because they focus on teachers development. There's so many different programs. And so it wouldn't be a complete conversation without both of these voices from Ector County in Texas. And if you haven't heard of Ector County, I guarantee you have. It's the Friday Night Lights uh, inspiration. So join us for this conversation. We get a little bit of football and a lot about teachers. Dr. Murray, Jamie Miller, thank you so much for being here today. You're welcome, Laura. Thank you. <laughs> You're joining us from Ector County. Dr. Murray, tell us about Ector County. What makes your district so special? Oh, it's, uh, it's the people that make this district special. So we're a system of 30, uh, 33,500 students, 4,200 employees. 67% uh, of our kids live in poverty. Uh, the majority of our kids um, are Hispanic, so about 80% of our students are Hispanic. Um, and we're located in, in West Texas. And so if you've ever watched the movie or read the book or seen the TV series Friday Night Lights, that's us. We are the home um, of Friday Night Lights. Permian High School that's featured in that uh, series is one of the high schools that we have in ECISD. So great place to live, work and play. We're excited to educate kids here. All right. So it's Monday, but on Friday, will you be at a football game? Hey, I already was on a football game this past Friday, and we'll be at another one this coming Friday. So that is what we do. Everything shuts down, and it's all about football. 20,000 people at a football game in Ector County. So how do you like that for a, a turnout? Wow. I'm going to have to make it out there. I didn't realize it was that big. That is incredible. For you know a district of your size, have that many people showing up for a football game is incredible. Right. Um, no wonder there's, there are books and movies about you. That's exactly right. And Dr. Murray, let me ask you this. Are you fully staffed? You're three weeks into the school year. Are you fully staffed? We, we are not fully staffed. We, we would like to be. So I think the interesting story, so way back in 2019, we had an 18% vacancy rate. So we were missing 350 teachers on the first day of school. And fast forward to today, we have a 1% vacancy rate. And so that's the work that we've been able to do. It really kind of bucks what's happening um, in our nation right now. And, you know, Jamie mentioned some of the incredible work that's happening. Uh, there's really a, a, a variety of investments that we've made in uh, the human capital efforts of our organization to, to make that happen. Uh, we're still searching for greatness, but uh, we're, we're not where we were. Well, searching for, and sounds like growing greatness, right? Like yeah, you decided right. to do it inside. So Jamie mentioned some of the initiatives that, that she mm -hmm. believes is contributing to this 18% sure. to 1% change. Which one... First of all, which ones do you feel like you brought to Ector County? And second of all, which one do you think is working the best to, to make it so that you have teachers in every classroom? Yeah, so I would say overall strategy is what we needed. Um, we, we have a strategic plan that we designed and a whole lot of it is based upon human capital. Um, and so we invest in um, compensation. So we've redesigned our compensation system. Teachers in our district can now make over $100,000 a year in annual compensation. And so that's healthy. Uh, then we grow our own. There was a, a, some research done several years ago that said that 60% of America's teachers teach within 25 miles of the high school from which they graduated. And so what that said for us is that we've got to do a better job of growing our own. We will always hire from outside, but if we're not developing. And so we have a large number of, of pipelines 
uh, that help us grow and develop our own folks. And then the last area that we invest in is just the development of our existing employees. So the 4,200 employees of ECISD, helping them become national board certified teachers, um, helping them uh, with personalized professional learning, making sure that people are growing um, on their own so that the, our teachers in particular can truly become the very best teachers uh, that they can. So it's the strategy that has been our win uh, in this district. And what I'm hearing is your strategy is like growing the students, recognizing that they're likely going to come back. So make sure they're ready. But it also sounds like there's a retention effort here in, in the pipeline oh, and also the pay and then also the ability to become certified. Does that sound accurate? Uh, absolutely. Yeah, it's one we, we don't want to keep growing folks and then losing them just as fast as we grow them. So it is about holding on to really great folks. Um, and, and when they, you know, when they're well compensated, they stay. When the culture is healthy, they stay. When they feel mentored and prepared, they stay. When they're giving, when we're providing leadership opportunities and growth uh, opportunities, they stay. And so all of those components uh, really help us not only retract, but retain excellence. And all this time, I thought it was just the football. <laughs> ah, exactly. Hey, that's a piece too. There you go. Culture matters. Culture matters. All right. Let me ask you a question then to both of you. So if you're not staying up late, worried about, you know, teacher shortages, like so many other superintendents are, what is keeping you up at night for Ector County right now? So really, it, it's continuous improvement. How, how do we get better? You know, 1% is not 0%. And so from a teacher perspective, how can we ensure that we're at 0%, but also that we continue to feed and nurture and cultivate um, excellence for our kids? Uh, just because you have a 0% vacancy rate does not mean what's happening in every classroom is still great for kids. And so there is the constant development process, ensuring that our folks are the very best that they can be. So it's, it's really uh, thinking about kids. Did every kid have a great day at school today? And if not, why not? And then what can we do tomorrow to make sure that we can make up for what happened today? Okay. And beyond, um, you know, improving your teachers and helping them get better. How else are you ensuring a great day for every student? Yeah. So I, th I think it's, it's, it starts from the, the very beginning when they get on the bus in the morning um, is does that bus driver greet them and make them feel welcome and valued and appreciated? Um, does the secretary, when they walk in the front door of the school in the morning, um, how are our kids valued, appreciated, ensuring that they have choices and options for them? Uh, we have a variety of different programs and opportunities, but is it enough? Um, are we meeting the needs of kids today? Are we looking at our graduates? Uh, how are they being successful in a post-secondary world? Um, how are we monitoring that, measuring that? So uh, it's really the whole child making sure that, that we're taking care of uh, the needs of every kid every day. You know, the pandemic created a lot of social emotional issues. And so from the the social emotional learning side, our counselors equipped, our teachers equipped to deal with some of the ongoing challenges that many of our kids face. So it's really the, the holistic view um, of our kids and families. And are we doing everything we can possibly do uh, to make sure that they're, that every day is a great day for kids? Okay. So that's like a, a you know, an up in the sky view. Tell me something specific yeah. this school year, you're three weeks in, we talked about you're three weeks in what's something specific. That's an initiative this year that you're really excited about. Yeah. Um, so if you want to stay human capital piece, uh, I think the most exciting piece there is the, uh, is the new apprenticeship program. So literally this week, uh, we hope to be announcing that we are starting a new apprenticeship model in conjunction with some with the federal government and some work that's happening federally. And so what this would mean, uh, teachers can go to college free of charge. They can earn um, a, 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 their bachelor's degree paid for by the federal government because the Workforce Commission has now embraced teacher or the teaching profession uh, as a high need area in the United States. And so with a, 
uh, an apprenticeship model in conjunction with a local university. Uh, teachers can receive their degree free of charge and that we're excited to be able to announce that potentially uh, this week in our system. And so that, that is yet another pathway into the profession that will be really good for teachers and then good for the profession as well. You know, Scott, everything you say really reminds me of my father. My father was a principal for like 40 years. And one of the things that he used to always say was you you support the teachers so they can support the students. You take care of your teachers so they can take care of the kids. Is that how you view your job? Is are teachers your first line? Like how, how do you see that? We talk about that specifically. So research is really clear. The number one factor that influences student achievement is the teacher. And the number two is the principal. And so the two most important employees in our organization are teachers and principals. And, and so, uh, you know, everybody is important. Yes. Uh, but we collectively have to pay attention to teachers and principals because they are the drivers of student excellence and student opportunities in our system. And so the rest of the organization has to be put together in a way that we're constantly supporting uh, the success of teachers and principals. So, so yes, they get a lot of attention. How many teachers do you have in your district? We're right at 2000 teachers in our organization. Wow. That's a lot of people to make your first priority. (laughs) It is. It is. It is. Absolutely. Yep. Awesome. Okay. So then let me tell you something else that I'm hearing from superintendents. I'm hearing across the board that right now the hardest part of the job is the politics, that people Mm -hmm. are really passionate. Parents are super involved and they, and they, while they appreciate that, it also can be really tense. And when I think about Texas, first of all, uh, and West Texas, I'm sure there are a lot of feelings in politics. Is that something you're experiencing? Is that the hardest part of your job right now? It, it is. I mean, I think the politics are everywhere to varying degrees in different parts of the state and certainly the nation. But we have to keep all of that in context. You know, there is a political movement afoot to create distractions. It's called disruptive politics. And, and so in, in many communities are dealing with the disruption. We have to keep our focus on children. We are here to serve kids. Uh, we prepare kids academically for success in life. Uh, we prepare them socially and emotionally for success in life. We provide extracurricular activities to engage our kids so that they can be successful in life. And when someone brings a political issue sometimes to the table, it is to distract us from the work uh, that we must do with kids. And so I've been very intentional as the superintendent. I work with our board um, and our community to to ensure that we stay focused on what's important. And there isn't anything more important than the 33,500 kids uh, that we serve every day. And so it is putting distractions where they should be off to the side and making sure that the focus of the organization is very strategic and it keeps us moving forward. So not easy, not easy, but it's the work that we have to do today. Well, that's the question I was going to ask, right? Like it it sounds, you make it sound almost easy, but I know how hard it is, right? When someone is banging on your door, you know, marching, yelling, whatever it is about whatever their issue is, it's really hard to not make that your focus. And so tell me two things. One, how do you manage yourself? when that's happening, when someone's getting upset. And then two, how do you, how do you support that person in, right? Like if they want to have this distraction off to the side, how do you keep them off to the side? How do you help them understand that, you know, what, what your focus is? Yeah. So that, that's, you know, a a whole lot of my job is that is to make sure that that distraction stays off to the side. And so that it doesn't take the attention of our central office employees and our in particular, our teachers and administrators. So I'll take the distraction um, so that they can stay focused on the the really important work of educating kids. Um, I also have seven members. We have a board of trustees, a board of education, if you will. Um, And so it is helping them remain focused. Also, they are part of my team as the superintendent. We call ourselves the team of eight. So it is keeping them focused on the right work, understanding the distractions 
but also understanding the politics behind the distractions. Why are people doing this, saying this, throwing these arrows? Um, and, and as long as we understand the why and we address those again as a distraction, then that, that allows us to stay focused on the good work. And then it's celebrating the right things. You know, we, we, we have a lot to celebrate in this district that we've made significant improvement over the last four years. Our obviously human capital has improved a lot over the last four years. There's a lot of really good things happening in our district. And there are those politically that do not want us to celebrate things because, oh my gosh, it's, it's good news for public education. Well, yes, it is. It, it is good news. And, and so we celebrate those things as well. That helps kind of temp, temper down uh, some of the uh, uh, distractions. And it sounds like you have a lot of good news in your district, which I'm sure you're really proud of. I have yeah. to be honest, as someone who meets with a lot of superintendents, you seem just cool as a cucumber. And so I'd love to know a little bit about you and about how you got to this place where like you're sure. in your third week of school. I'm sure yeah. there were places where like textbooks were in the wrong place or someone didn't have a teacher or something happened. A bus didn't show up. Tell me, you know, first of all, like what are you what's your like mantra? What do you how do you focus every single day? Um yeah. Knowing I, the push and pull. Yeah. So it's a really strong why. I, I think that's, you know, my why are the kids that we serve every day. So it's keeping their faces in uh, in my mind as a clear image. Um, you know, one of my favorite things to do is to visit classrooms and to see our kids, uh, you know, highly engaged and, and having a really great day at school. Uh, my responsibility is to make sure that that happens for every kid every day. And yes, Things happen. Uh, we had kids that missed the bus. The bus was late. The bus was early. Uh, the teacher was out. We're dealing with COVID, a rising COVID again. So we have multiple staff members that are out in the organization and that creates disruption. But it's also normal. You know, these things just happen. Um, it is all about how does the system respond? Uh, did we apologize to the parents because our bus was late or our bus forgot to pick up the kid? That particular day? Um, do we have plans in place when a staff member is out uh, because of COVID? Do we, uh, do we have all of our materials in place? Have we done everything that we could possibly do to make sure, again, that every kid has a great day every day? Knowing that that's not always the reality, uh, but we have remedies and solute systems and processes in place to ensure to the very best of our ability that that, that can happen. So yeah, um, if I'm not as cool as a cucumber, it affects the organization. And so I have to, you know, help our folks understand that we can do this um, as long as we're constantly working hard. So, yeah. Well, and this is your second superintendentship, right? Before it you is. were the superintendent in Spring ISD. Is Spring a lot larger than where you are now? So I was in Spring Branch ISD. There is okay. a Spring and a Spring Branch, both in the city of Houston. So we were, uh, Spring Branch is similar in size, about 35,000 kids located in, really in downtown Houston. Okay. Um, two different types of districts, similar in size, but demographically very different um, types of students. Yep. Okay. And so then, so, so do you think in some ways, like your, your nature to be calm and your ability to be calm comes from just experience as well? It, it does. It also comes from uh, my father who much, he was a minister and, and he portrayed that to the people that he worked with as well. And so I really attribute a lot of my demeanor just to him and watching him um, really as a mentor to me, uh, deal with challenges with members of his congregation and how he overcame all of those and how he helped people 
uh, kind of move forward. And, and so my, the demeanor of a superintendent is critical, uh, really, in my opinion, to the success of the organization. We have to know what we're doing, and then we have to portray confidence to our to our team so that we can move forward on behalf of the kids that we serve. So. I love an episode where we get to bring in our fathers, first of all. That's and good. second of all, I'll say, so I used to, I did live in Houston at one point. I worked in HISD in Kip Houston. Oh, okay. um, yes. So I know Spring Branch. Um, I don't know Hector as well, but I have some idea because I've watched Friday Night Lights. Um, so I know what I think the difference is between these two districts, but you tell me, what was the biggest difference in being a superintendent in Spring Branch and where you are now? Sure. So Spring Branch was very much a good to great district. When I when I went there in 2015, very healthy, but there were opportunities for improvement. But the district was had a very positive momentum. Uh, the community itself really embraced uh, education and would do whatever it took to to make sure that excellence was happening in every school. Uh, this district, when it came in 2019, was on the brink of being taken over by the state of Texas because of poor academic performance. It was among the lowest performing districts in our state. And, and that's why I came here. Uh, n- not because it's exciting to uh, to be in in this uh, you know a Friday Night Lights environment, but because the need of the kids in this community was significant. Um, and I would rather come and serve as a superintendent than have this group of kids in this community taken over by a state. Um, and so that that was um, you know we talk about sometimes in education we're called to do this work. Uh, this was not on my agenda. Uh, this was, I, I was called to be here and have been blessed every single day uh, that I've been here because of because of saying yes to that call. Uh, it's an incredible place to serve. Well, let me ask a few questions about that then. So first of all, didn't that just happen to HISD? Isn't the state now playing a much larger, I don't know if they've actually taken it over, but they've, they've, they're playing a much larger role in Houston. And they have. Is that true? Yeah, the state took over HISD in July of 2023, yes. Which I think is important for our listeners to know that like when Texas says they're doing things like that, they're not joking around, right? Correct. That they, they actually do. Because I think, you know, sometimes yes. it's one of those things that's, that's pushed around, but it doesn't actually happen. Um, so where is where does your district stand now? So if 2019, the state was considering taking over your district and then you came in, where does the district stand now? Yeah, the state is no longer considering taking over our district. So we've, we've had a lot of improvement. Um, but e- even in the middle of a pandemic, you know, I, I think... You know, we were headed in a really healthy direction and then the pandemic hit, you know, about nine months after, you know, we started to put, to put things together. So that was really tough um, on the organization. But we have really, in fact, when you look at our data longitudinally, you can see that in many areas, not only have we recovered, but we're accelerating at a pace that's faster than our state. We're closing gaps in mathematics and readings and reading and science and social studies uh, with our with our state. And we have always been well below the state in academic performance. And so it's nice to have some wins um, for our community and uh, in, in places other than just athletics and on Friday night lights. But it, <laughs> when we can win in the classroom yeah, academically, that's a big deal for our kids. We have the highest graduation rate we've had in over 20 years in this district. We, we have uh, our, our advanced placement uh, scores, uh, again, the highest we've had in, in, in many years in our organization this year. Uh, we've demonstrated improvement at the high school level in every single end of course exam that our students take. Uh, we've seen improvement. And so it's it's the right kind of trajectory um, in our organization. We're really pleased with what we're going. That's awesome. And then you mentioned that this was like a calling to you, but was there an actual phone call where someone said, I know you're in Spring Branch, but I need you to go here? How did that happen? Yeah. So after four years of service in Spring Branch, my eyes were looking for my next opportunity as a superintendent. And this was not on my list at all. Um, and so I had several phone calls about this opportunity. 
but it was the phone call. Here's the dad story again from my father. Um, so I'm, it's a Saturday morning and I'm see, I'm in the month of April in 2019 and I'm getting ready to go into the grocery store and my phone rings and it's my dad. Well, my dad never calls me unless something is, unless there's an emergency. And so I pick up the phone and he said, Hey, how are you doing? My dad never says that to me. And so I, I, was, I knew that this was unusual. And he said, I, I've been talking with your mother who, and she's my sounding board many times. And, and he said, I understand that you have an opportunity and I, I'm calling to remind you of who you are and why you were placed on this earth. And he said, you're moving. And I said, you're right. And so that was my turning point and why I'm here. And so it goes back to that. Yeah. I have to tell you that I can totally see my dad making that phone call. And yeah. I don't know if I could take that. Like, that's a lot it's, of, you know. Yeah. Not only do I think you should take this opportunity, but you're meant to do this. Yeah, and correct. and <laughs> and yeah. I'm sure you that at least a little party wanted to say, you know how bad that district's doing, right? <laughs> like you yes, know what but, I'm <laughs> yes, but yeah, but no, I I but I was struggling with the decision. I had some other opportunities that that were exciting to me as a person, but perhaps not what I was called to do. Um, and uh, and I needed that slap in the face, if you will to remind me of my purpose, my why, um, my calling, my passion. And, um, and he knew that I needed that. So I, I got it. So. All right. I have one more follow-up yeah. question about your dad. Sure. So I'll tell you, I was a principal at one point of a school that was having, going through some real issues, right? I, I used to say like, it felt like we were cursed. And at that point I called my parents who were retired, a teacher and principal and said, I need my mom to be a para. Like I, I just lost a para. I need a para and I need you to come and help organize this other thing. And yeah. my parents showed up. So have you put your dad to work yet in your district? Put him I to the like... test. <laughs> really <laughs> just, as, just as the sounding board. No, they, they live in uh, North Carolina. So they're a bit of a distance uh, from where I am, but, but they're the, a good support system for me. And so, you know, I, w when I'm having a, a rough time or a struggle, you know, they're the folks on the other end of the line that, well, are great listeners and can just provide the words of encouragement or support that we all need at times um, in our lives. And so it's been nothing but support from them. So, and you were a, a district, credit. you were a district leader in North Carolina as well, right? Is that where you're from? And that's where you like, were you at one point in the district that you went to high school at as well? Uh, was not in the district I was in high school at, no, but I have served in Florida, North Carolina, Georgia, and, and now in Texas. And have served central office level in, in North Carolina and Georgia. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And so you're just making your way through the South. That's, <laughs> you're that's gonna, right. that's Alabama's a, next. Yeah. The, the folks in Texas will tell you, I finally, my, I finally awakened and came to the great state of Texas, but I, I've loved it and have truly loved every place that I've served. Um, you know, I was in Charlotte Mecklenburg schools, Fulton County schools. I worked for Disney for 11 years in, um, in central Florida with celebration. And so loved each of those experiences and, and they've all helped shape, me and to the person that I am today. And so a lot of credit uh, to the many individuals that have been a part of my life to help me grow and develop um, into um, a leader. As you were in these different roles, were you always looking to the next thing? Like, have you always known you wanted to be a superintendent? Oh, I'm a bloom or your planet individual. Um, so I enjoy the moment. And I am a firm believer that your resume that you cultivate um, opens the doors for you, but I've never been one to look ahead at the next opportunity. It's more being fully immersed in the existing opportunity. And what I found throughout my career is when your head is down and you're buried in your work and it's really good work, there are a lot of doors opening around you so that when you do lift your head up, 
there are opportunities are everywhere, but it's all about being focused in the area that you're planted. So bloom where you're planted um, and, and bloom well. That's really neat. So right now you're staying where you are. You're not looking to the next thing. No, I'm, I'm, we're having a great time here. There's a lot of work. As I said, we still have a 1% vacancy rate, so it is not yet zero. We have work to do. Well, and I, I love hearing you talk about teachers. I, I feel like I talk to superintendents and I hear a lot about politics. I hear a lot about students. I hear a lot about initiatives, but it just feels like everything of it is a, for you is about teachers. Um, is that how it's always been for you? Is that teacher, like, is, is that a thread? So I, I taught for eight years. I'm a national board certified teacher. So I know and understand, you know, what the, the importance of good teaching in the lives of students. And so it has always been um, value to me because that's because I am one. Um, I, I get it. And it's incredibly difficult work. Um, it is it has certainly evolved over even in my tenure in education. Um, it has evolved significantly. And, and again, the teacher is the number one factor that influences student achievement. And so our teachers have just got to be great, but they can't be great by themselves. We have to help them. We being, you know, central office, our, our community, parents, we've all got to pour in to our teachers to help them be the very best that they can be. And then who wins? You know, kids win when our teachers are great. And so, yes, a lot of investment in teachers. And what did you teach? I was a math and middle school, high school math and science teacher. So science was my favorite, all about the experiences. Yeah. That's so interesting. I feel like that's where most districts have vacancies right now. Is that where your vacancies are? Is in your uh, A little bit across the board for us. Okay. Uh, special ed, uh, we have English. So a little bit of everything right now. We have traditionally, yes, had, have had STEM vacancies. Uh, but right now it's a little bit of everything. So I can't put it in one category. Well, and it's interesting because we're going to kind of do a cut in and out with this episode because we were going to have Jamie here, Jamie Miller, who is your your head of talent development. And I think that just speaks to how much you really believe in teachers and care about teachers that the person that you were going to do this in, in, in parent, like as a parent with is with your talent development person. All right. Let me ask you this. Can you tell me about a teacher in your district that really gives you hope, who, who really gives you hope? Like you've seen this person teach or you know about what they're doing. Oh, many of them. Um, so... Um, we have a, a, one of our programs is called Opportunity Culture. It, it really has redesigned the traditional role of a teacher, it creates the teacher leader opportunity. So they teach part time and they lead part time. Um, and so I you know, think about uh, uh, at Dowling Elementary School. Um, there is a fifth grade uh, master classroom leader there that does incredible work with kids. Um, I have been in that. In fact, I've already been in that classroom this year. Uh, but not only does she work well with students, but some of her um, her colleagues, she is developing them as well. So she is, yes, uh, producing incredible students, but she is also mentoring teacher residents. Um, she is mentoring her colleagues who are other fifth grade teachers and ensuring that, that her whole team uh, does amazing work for, for kids. And so it's it's teachers that have a vision for not only their own students, but they recognize that they're really good at what they do and they could uh, others could benefit from them. And so they mentor, coach, lead, guide and direct them as well so that many students benefit as opposed to just that small group of kids. Um, it's really yeah. special. And I, I appreciate that you're bringing this up because teachers are two things that I don't know if we talk about enough. It's like one, when they get stressed out, they just want to shut their door. I was that teacher, right? I love my school, but man, when it's busy, I, I my 30 kids or my 20 kids, right? And so it is a big deal to yep. then get outside of yourself and spend time on other people. 
And also teachers are secretly very competitive in my experience. Like we like to win <laughs> and it's neat that she can see her, her team and other teachers winning as her win as well. So I'm so glad you brought that to our attention. That's really the whole concept there is it's all about the team. Again, I have a team. I have seven board members that work as a part of my team and, you know, none of us uh, bloom where we're planted on our own. We have to have, we have to be well fertilized and it's the people around us that, that help us uh, in that area. All right. So we've had a couple of superintendents come on and they've said to us that they were teachers who then emailed the superintendent, which like led to their rise. Um, and so my question for you is what happens when a teacher emails you? Ooh, you respond. Um, I, I enjoy that. I appreciate the uh, teacher that emails me. Sometimes it's for a variety of reasons. I have a, a teacher in the district that emails me maybe once a quarter and it's the motivation email. It is the, hey, Dr. Mary, I just want to let you know, I really appreciate blah, blah, blah. I, I, that teacher is in my district. Love her. She, she It's just her gift. And she does that for me. Um, I have the, the questions. Hey, Dr. Mary, why are we having to do this? Or I have a question about this idea. Um, or they bring ideas to the table. Hey, Dr. Mary, I have a thought. You know, what if the district could do this or that? Or um, And so I, I appreciate all of that. But you reply. You And sometimes I go see those teachers because maybe their idea or their question is something that I want to dig into and it requires a face-to-face. -face. And so I'll go and, and hang out with that teacher. But oh, I love that. Yep. Oh, that's really neat. And that's great. I think that's important for everyone to hear that if you want your teachers to engage, you've got to engage back. Absolutely. Uh, we are, it's, it's, we, I think we just heard your computer make a noise because we are running low on time. So I'm going to move us to our five rapid fire questions that we ask every guest. Okay. Um, and so the they're rapid fire, but you can take your time too. It's fine. <laughs> you gave us time. We're happy to wait a little bit for you. Um, and the first one is, uh, this, the podcast is called more than a test because the company I work for Amira, we have a reading program that gives reading data every single day, as opposed to three times a year on a test, right? A benchmark assessment. And so we say the product is more than a test. However, every guest has read it and thought of something different. So when you heard more than a test, what did you think of? Oh, I think about the whole child. You know, our kids are more than test scores. In fact, literally today in our, our cabinet meeting that I start on Mondays with, we were looking at numbers and uh, we had to quickly transpose those numbers into people. We we're in the people business, the, the kid business. And so this work is more than a test. It is more than a, uh, an accountability uh, result. It is about human beings and their success. So absolutely. Our That's kids awesome. are more than tests. <laughs> That's awesome. And your teachers, it sounds like. Yes, yes, yes. All right. A literary moment in your life. And what I mean by that is a moment with you in a book that you know either changed who you are or it's like a happy place for you or something, um, just a time that you were with a book that really meant something. Yeah. So I would go right to Outliers. That is always um, for me. And it's really just understanding the the investment that an outlier makes in their work and themselves to achieve excellence. Um, sometimes we talk about that in public education. Oh, just be really good. Well, there's more than just thinking it. There's a whole lot of work that goes on. And, and so that book really helped me as a superintendent understand the work that I have to put in. If I'm going to be really good, man, it requires a significant investment of my time. Yeah. My favorite part of that book is always the part about the Beatles. Like when you hear about them, how long they would play in Berlin late at night, like you think these things just happen, that they're just happening, but it's, it's work. Exactly. So. The role of teacher, a really great teacher doesn't just wake up suddenly and become that. Um, it may be a calling, but man, because it's your calling, you put in the work to make sure that you're really good at your calling. That's really great. A piece of technology that you love. Oh, right now it's the cell phone. I mean, it's the, it's, I know, I know it's all that it does and it, how it's evolved. Um, I, I'm able to, 
yeah, I'm able to do uh, all a whole lot with with that tool. So yes, the phone and quickly, right? Um, yep. that's really great. Okay, um, the best advice you've ever been given. Hmm. I'll go back to, I've already used it with the, the bloom where you're planted scenario. It is really to, to do the very best that you can in the moment that you are. And that has benefited me throughout my career. One is because it, when I work really hard and I'm focused, it benefits the people that I'm serving. Uh, and number two, it, the results that are created have benefited me just in, in other opportunities. And so my career trajectory has been the way it is because of the work that has happened throughout my career. And so it is that phrase benefits people. Um, and it has certainly benefited me as, as a superintendent. That's really great. And one book you think everyone should read. Okay. This is weird. Um, so for Christmas this year, um, my, um, really a former student gave me a, a, a book, um, and it's called my favorite teacher, but, this student had to fill in the book. And so it was a story starter book um, and it was written to me as his favorite teacher. Um, and so I don't want everybody to read my book. Um, I, I would really lift that up because I think from a book perspective, we have that same opportunity uh, for everyone else. We, we all have teachers or mentors in our lives. And so he took the time to purchase that and then spent a lot of time filling it out and making it very personal to me. Um, and today that book sits on the top of my um, uh, my dresser and I look at it every day as I'm getting ready, uh, just the memories that it happened. And so it was an incredible gift to me and reminded me of who I am and, and what I do and the importance. Um, and so it's um, I think it's, it's a giving and receiving opportunity. Um, and so find the book, it's called, uh, it was again, my favorite teacher. Um, but it was a fill in the blank and it was given to me as a gift. And so I hope to be able to do that uh, for, for someone else. Um, it was powerful. Wouldn't it be neat if a whole bunch of people bought that and did do it? I think more teachers yeah. need to hear that stuff. Okay. So let me ask you two questions. I have to now. What's one sure. thing he said that you can't, that you like read and it meant something? Oh, it was the story. And each, like each page is a different story or a different memory. It was the things that I did not remember that were meaningful to him that I had no idea. Here's a memory. I don't remember that, but you do. And, and so powerful memories that did, weren't in my mind, but that were in his. And again, the importance of our action are the words that we say and the actions that we have and the significance that they have on other people. And sometimes we never even know. So oh my God. that's amazing. And then who will you be filling yours out for? Oh, um, so my favorite Janet Banks, a fourth grade teacher. Uh, she's still alive today. In fact, she's connected with me on LinkedIn. And every now and then, uh, Janet Banks, the teacher, uh, reads things that I posted and will comment and then send messages to me. So she still informs uh, who I am today as a person. That's my fourth grade teacher, Janet Banks. All right. Well, from this podcast, I'm going to remember to bloom where I'm planted and I'm going to go get the book and send it to at right. least one teacher, if not a couple. So thank hey, you so you much for inspiring me. And thank you for spending time with us. And thank you for bringing such a beautiful focus on teachers today. This has been a great conversation. No, you're welcome. Thank you. Jamie, thank you so much for being here today. People who are listening might not know that we were, you and I have kind of had like a three steps forward, 10 steps back situation going on here. And that originally we met at the WLE conference and then you agreed to do the podcast. And then there's this idea of bringing your superintendent on with you. And we were like, yes, let's do that. And then when we finally got to do it with both of you, 
the tech was crazy. It was like a wild day. And so we've decided to kind of have two episodes and we're going to edit in and out because it's really important that we have both of you here for Actor County because your superintendent came on and all he talked about was teachers. <laughs> That's all he wanted to talk about was all the programs you're doing for teachers. And a lot of that is your work. Is that right? Tell me a little bit more about what you do in Actor County. So I am the proud executive director of talent development. So I get to oversee teacher pipelines, um, teacher mentors, anything that has to do with bringing teachers in and building their capacity. We get to upskill people to ensure that we have the high quality teachers that we need in front of our students. The way you say it makes it sound like something that lots of districts do, right? They are helping teachers get better. They're bringing people to teachers but it's more than that. Like this is your entire strategy. And what we talked about with the superintendent is you all went from having quite a few vacancies in your district to 1% of classrooms are now missing teachers. And, and it looks like you're filling all of those. So tell me a little bit more, like what makes it different in Nectar County? What are the big things that y'all are doing that is, you know, making that huge difference? Well, it's strategic staffing. It's ensuring that we have people in the right places, but then giving them the opportunity to get into those spots. So we have actually, we announced the 10th one today, 10 different ways to get teachers into a classroom. So that's pretty amazing for a school district to have done within four years. And a lot of that is having an innovative superintendent who came in. So just a few of the pipelines that we do have is we have parent teacher, where of course we're helping to fully fund um, paraprofessionals who are already working in our district to have them get a bachelor's degree and then be into our classrooms. Um, we have opportunity culture, which is huge. So within opportunity culture, we're, we are taking high quality teachers, we're paying them more, but we have their outreach. So they're working with other teachers on their grade level. So they're working with instructional facilitators and their pipeline to become a teacher. They're working with teacher residents who are actually in their classroom and have a one-year paid residency to become a teacher. They're working with REACH associates who are in a pipeline to become a teacher. So that's another one of our very strategic strategies that we have. Um, we have lots more. We have future teachers of Odessa. So we're taking our high school kids. They're graduating with 78 college hours. We're getting them into um, the University of Texas of the Permian Basin and they'll have a teaching degree within two years. And one thing we're very proud of is we have Odessa Pathway to Teaching. We're only one of three districts in Texas that have our own EPP, an educational, an educator preparation program. So when we have people that come with us with a bachelor's degree, we can actually get them certified as a teacher. And today and you- a few of them. <laughs> and today you had an announcement of a new one. What, what, what did you announce today? So we have become, with the Department of Labor, a registered apprentice program. So there's only, I think Dr. Mary said about three in Texas right now, but what this will do was it will help us to pull down funds to fully fund a bachelor's degree to people into our pipelines, but we also can pull down funds to unlock wraparound services. If they need help with childcare, we can get that for them. If they need gas, help with gas, help with living expenses, then we can unlock those um, wraparound services. So we're really taking away the barriers that we have to getting a bachelor's degree. It's incredible because it feels like you've looked at this from so many different angles. I mean, to your point, 10 different ways to become a teacher in your area. Um, and how does, how does that work? Like, are you all just kind of like 
hey, we have parents who want to become teachers. Let's do that. Or how are you deciding, you know, where is the need and where, how do you break that down those barriers? So it's really looking at our system as a whole and doing a needs assessment and going, where do we have vacancies? How can we fill those vacancies? And then coming up with a strategy to actually do that. Because we're not only filling teacher vacancies, we're filling diagnostician. We have a diagnostician pathway, counselor, also a leadership pathway, which is huge for us. We need high quality leaders on all of our campuses. So just ensuring that we're getting everybody within that the best pathway. But I would say if you're starting this, it's really thinking systematically and then doing a needs assessment of where is your greatest need and then thinking strategically of how we can get people into those positions. So let me ask a question that um, you may or may not know the answer to, but I bet you do. Um, when, I'm sure that there are superintendents, leaders listening to this and saying, yeah, that sounds great, but how are they funding it? Where are you finding the funds? And when you talk about like finding money for people to have gas or get a bachelor's degree or and any of these things, how are you funding this in Odessa? Well, with our apprenticeship, we actually went to our local universities and said, how can you help us? How can you help us to ensure that this is funded? Yes, we're going to pull down funds from the Department of Labor, but we want to ensure that everybody who goes into this pipeline, that they have their tuition and fees paid. So just going to the universities and saying, what can you help us with? Many of them have funds that they may put back that they were like, okay, we're, we're gonna have them fill out the FAFSA, they're going to do grants, but then we're putting this much money back to fill in the gaps. So I think that's huge is asking going to your universities and asking. With opportunity culture, it is it is um, budget neutral. It actually funds itself. And so that's a great way to get people into a pipeline with high quality teachers, but it funds itself. In the past, we've had ESSER and T-class funds, which come from the state that we're not going to have anymore. So we are looking to our local um, businesses. We're oil and gas. So there is a lot of money in our area, but looking to them to actually adopt a pipeline. Let's come and help us because we're going to feed your business too. They're in the same position. They have positions that they need to fill. We can help you do that, but we need to, our kids to graduate college and career ready. So let us help you and you help us. <laughs> it sounds like you're not afraid to ask anyone for help. And I think so often <laughs> districts, leaders, it's like we're so focused on our building on our district. We don't we don't like pick our heads up to look around and say, well, I wonder if there's people who could help. Is that something that your superintendent has led? Your district has always been like that where you're looking around to the community or, or is that new? Our superintendent is all about collaboration. We cannot do this work by ourselves. We have to have collaboration, especially with our two, our junior college and our university within our city. Um, we, we cannot do this work by ourselves. So he just is so innovative and was like, how do we collaborate? How do we get this work done? We do apply for grants and we do receive those. So that also helps, but just any way possible that we can get this funded. I mean, we're, we're going to do it. <laughs> so you've done a lot of roles and this is, this is your home district. This is where you were, you went to school, yes. right? Yes, ma'am. And then you came back to teach in, in your district as well, correct? Yes. I actually taught in the same fifth grade class that I went to fifth grade in. So it was, it was very fun. <laughs> no, you didn't. I did not know yes, that. So you taught fifth grade. That's how you came back to the district. And then yes, how did you work your way up into the district office? Well, there was just, I, I had lots of opportunity 
and people supporting me. And I would say that that's the biggest thing is have people that want to grow you and want you to do well. So I just kept moving up, whether it was a campus curriculum facilitator, I've been a dyslexia therapist, but just had people that said, hey, what's, what's your next step? What do you want to do next? And then when I became um, a campus curriculum facilitator, I was like, I really think that I want to be a principal. So went back and did my master's and then became an AP for one year. And then um, Wendy Hines was her name at the time. She was the associate superintendent. After one year, she was like, apply to be a principal. I didn't really feel that I was ready, but she said, you have what cannot be taught. People will follow you and you can get people you know, you're positive and we feel that you can do this. So I was an AP for one year and then became a principal. Um, I did turn around schools. And so then I ended up coming downtown um, in CNI over reading advanced academic services and then um, early education. <laughs> that's, that's, an, that's incredible that you kind of like, we're moving your way up. And I, I love the story about the person who kind of said you have something that other people don't have. So when your superintendent, because we talked a lot about your superintendent and how he came from Spring ISD and how, or Spring Branch ISD and how different Spring Branches and how this was a district that the state was looking to take over. What role were you in at that moment when he came? I was actually the executive director of curriculum and instruction. And then you moved into this position, which to me, based on what he said, is is something that's incredibly valuable to him. I, I would say probably the most valuable, right? Like all he talked about was teachers and teacher pathways and how, how can we grow teachers? And then that's your role, right? You're leading this teacher development. So how did you build that relationship? How did you get him to trust you and, and move you to this just essential role? I think he saw a work ethic that I would put um, in the hours because it, it does take a lot of time, but honestly, building the relationships with the teachers also. I have good relationships with the teachers and the leaders within the district. And so I can go and talk to them. I can say, let's try this. Let's put this into place. How can I help you? And um, getting the feedback. And so um, really when we had our interview, he was tough. He asked me some hard questions. What was the hardest question? Come on, give me one moment. What was the hardest question he asked? You know, when you answer a question, he doesn't take the answer. He says, okay, but keep going, go deeper. How are you going to do this? And I think one of the hardest questions was he said, how are you going to bring things to Odessa, Texas that have never been done in Texas before? And I've had the wonderful opportunity to work with Julia Raphael Bear. You said that we, we met at you know the conference. And I said, well, I have a network of people that I can call that I'm going to stay in touch with who are there to support me and to help build me. So I have the connections to do that. And I think that's huge. Are you looking outside of your own area? Are you looking outside of your own state? Who are you talking to? Are y'all collaborating and doing things together? Who's who's growing you? So um, that was a hard question, but I think he he knew that I would, I would make it work. <laughs> okay. So tell me this. So one of the things that Julia Raphael Baird always talks about is knowing who's at your boardroom table, like your personal boardroom table. So who's at your boardroom table beyond Julia? Um, Dr. Susan Enfield. Um, she is amazing. Um, right. when she gave me her cell phone number. I'm like, yes, because I knew that someone who I could talk to, I could bounce ideas off of who's not in Texas, who's not part of my district, who would be honest, you know, Jamie, that's a great idea. I think it'll work. Or you know what, you need to go back to the drawing board on that one and do a little bit more research. 
So she's one of the biggest ones. Um, lots of superintendents within the state. Um, but I also have a wonderful team underneath me who um, they help to build me just as much as I help to build them. So I'm, I'm very blessed. <laughs> Dr. Susan Enfield is one of those people who get, you hear her name and you get goosebumps. So you do have a great boardroom table. Um, yeah. I love that you said that you, that you brought her up and Julia, it's really lovely. Um, so one of the things that I heard you say is that part of the reason you have this role is that your connection with the teachers in, in your district. And one of the questions I asked your superintendent was, tell me about one teacher who inspires you, someone who like you think about a lot, who, think, who you think is really like lifting up your district. Is there a teacher that means a lot to you? There is. And she actually um, taught for me when I was an elementary principal. And um, she's now a multi-classroom leader, um, doing an amazing job at coaching other teachers. But she is just one of those people who is going to go above and beyond. She's going to do the best that she possibly can. She wants to learn. She's learning and growing every day. But her love for kids and the way that she can build a relationship with even you know, kids that may be hard to build a relationship with, it, it amazes me. I have nothing but admiration at just her dedication and her love for students in the district. That's, that's a great story. And I'm sure, she, I'm sure she knows who she is. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's, that's really neat. And I love that both of you brought up a teacher who, who works with other teachers, right? This idea of expanding your, your power and your impact to other teachers and giving to other teachers is really neat. Um, one of the things that you kind of said is that, you know, he asked you what can, like, we're going to bring these things to Odessa, Texas that have never been done in Texas. I've lived in Houston. I have a, I have some idea of what I'm going to call Texas culture. <laughs> and, and, and I think it's a lovely culture. You know, I once read, uh, there's nowhere as wild as Texas. And I, and I do believe there's something to that. But I also think that, you know, some of what is great about Texas is they're so strong in their beliefs. I think the other side of that is they're sometimes stubborn in their ideas, right? And so I'm curious, how do you overcome that? And that is hard. Change is very hard in our district. And I am the type of person that I love change. Um, it excites me. I, I, you know, I just love it. And so I've really had to work in thinking about how do I present things to people who do not like change? But you know, the data speaks for itself. Sometimes we'll start something in small chunks. And then once people start seeing it growing and they hear people talking about it, then they're like, wait a minute here. Okay, what are you doing? How can I how can I have a part in this? And so really just being patient, but showing people this is where you are, but this is where you could be. And this is how we're going to help you get there and modeling it. Um, you know, if we go in and say, okay, you're doing this, you're going to change. It's not going to work. We have to model it. We have to help them the whole way through that change. And, and that's still hard for some people, but I, I see the culture of our district actually changing because people are like, okay, I see what we're doing. We're seeing the growth. We see that we're closing gaps in our kids learning. And so they're like, give me more. Come on. What can we do? <laughs> the proof is in the pudding. That that's great. Um, so so you're, you're having this culture shift for your teachers. One of the things that we keep hearing from superintendents is the hardest part, or, and, and any district leader, is the hardest part is the politics, right? That people get upset about things. You're putting a lot of money into teachers that could maybe go to students, you know, people might think should go to students or something. Is that something that's impacting your role or are you kind of separate from that and you get to spend your time on teachers? In some parts, it does affect all of us because, you know, it is our community. and 
a community is another piece that we have to collaborate with if we want to be successful. But our community is changing also because they see the work that's being done. And for the first time, we were a B district. I mean, we have not been a B district. We, um, you know, our AP scores are going up. Our kindergarten readiness in um, three years, we went from 33% to 57% of our students being kindergarten ready. So we're really telling our story of what's going on in our district and the wonderful things that are happening. So you see that shift in politics also. Now, are there always going to be people that, you know, are gonna have something to say? Yes, there are. But I, I think that they're realizing that the teachers are so important. I mean, they're more important than the curriculum. They're more important than anything. A, a teacher is non-replaceable. We have to have high quality teachers within our schools and we have to retain them. Because we have all these pipelines, if we're constantly putting through people through pipelines, but they're not staying, then all we're doing is we just keep training people and they're leaving. And so changing the culture of our community of, hey, our teachers are great, they work hard, and you need to support them. But we see that because we're all telling the story of how wonderful ECIC is. Okay, let me ask you this. Thinking about your story, what is something in the last four years that you're most proud of? That I'm most proud of? in the last four years. Um, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna go back to kindergarten readiness. Um, I had the opportunity to build um, the early childhood program and we did not have one. We were sending our kindergarten, our pre-K teachers with our kindergarten teachers to get training. Nobody was really filling the bucket of our pre-K teachers are working with them. And that's where it starts. We need our kids to be prepared in pre-K so that they're prepared in kinder and it just goes up the line. So getting to actually open that department to build it, but then seeing the growth that came out of that. I mean, like I said, we went from 33% to 57% in three years, that's huge. But it's just, you know, they're, they're amazing. We have an 1882 innovative partnership with the YMCA, and we have a building that has 303-year-olds. I mean, on the first day of school, it's wild. It's like herding cats. But, you know, adding that three-year-old program that then goes into the four-year-old program has just been amazing. So that's that's been something fun to see. <laughs> okay. So one of the things that your superintendent said is that, you know, like I was like, oh, I can't wait to hear about all of these teacher pipeline programs, right? And he said, here's the thing, Laura. It's not about programs. It's about strategy. And it's really important that you understand the difference. And so, Jamie, I got to ask you, what's the difference between having 10 programs and having a strategy? The strategy is how do we get people into the programs? How do we ensure that our programs are funded? How do we ensure that they're staying in there and they're being successful once they come out of that those programs? So it, it is about the strategy. Where are they going? Um, who is mentoring them, and how do we ensure that they just keep growing um, within our, our pipelines? Because even though you're a teacher, we have pipelines for national board, which is the gold standard of teaching certifications. So even though we may get people into classrooms, we're helping our vacancy, how are we still filling their buckets? How are we getting them to even go further within their education. And then that way they're helping us. They're those high quality teachers that are helping others do the same thing. So it's just thinking strategically about every every pipeline that you have, you have to think, what are the benefits of this? What are the drawbacks? What's going to come from this? And then what's next? 
because there's always that next step. <laughs> well, you're really reminding me of what I feel like my boss is constantly saying to me. It's like, it's not about activities. It's about outcomes, right? So it's not about what we're doing. It's about how does this end up for us? Um, because we talk a lot about activities. We're like, oh, we'll create this training. We'll do this thing. We'll build this program or whatever. And he's like, all right, well, how do we know it's successful? How do we know this is working? And I think that's maybe the strategic thinking that I'm hearing is also um, applicable in your district, which is really cool. All right. Tell me something that's still keeping you up at night. Something that's keeping me up at night. Well, I had a saying when I was a principal that I was data-driven, but student-informed. And so I knew that data is important, but there's a face behind every piece of data. And sometimes there was a reason why students were performing the way that they were. And so just thinking about everything that I do, there's a face behind that. You know, sometimes it's a number when you work in the district office, but there's a child behind that. There's a family behind that. There's a future behind that. So just thinking through, am I doing enough? Um, is my department doing enough? Are we um, ensuring that every single student in ECISD is getting a, you know, a quality education with a high, quali high quality teacher? So that still does keep me up at night. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna invoke student, Susan Enfield again, but I remember when she told me that every kid in her district needs to be known by name, strength, and area for growth. And that's the same thing, right? Remembering that it's not just the data, it's that face, it's that child, and it's who they are. And I think that I think that's really important. And it's really easy to get, you know, waylaid by the outcomes or by the numbers or whatever it is, or, you know, what the state is saying. And so I think that's a really, really good reminder. Um, <laughs> uh, sorry, I, you're from, I haven't heard that. I haven't been in Texas in a, in a long enough time that I haven't heard yes, ma'am, in a long time. Yes. It makes me laugh. Okay, let me ask you a Texas question, and then we'll go on to your five questions. Um, you, So you went to school in this district. You came back to teach in this district. You were a principal in this district. You are a leader in this district. What would get you to leave your district? Um, I do... I do have plans to be a superintendent. Um, I do have my certification, um, but, but it would be hard. I'm very invested in this district. Um, my kids went through the district. Um, I, I'm very invested, um, but it would be to maybe go to a smaller district to become a superintendent and then maybe someday come back. But um, this is my hometown and I'm, I love ECISD and I have faith that we're just gonna do amazing things. <laughs> and you already have tickets to the Friday Night Lights game. So, I mean, you're very dedicated. Yeah, the tickets. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Um, okay. But I, I, okay. I promise I'm going to get to my five questions. But no, one of the things that I've heard a lot about, it's, it's really inspiring to hear you say that you want to be a superintendent because what I keep hearing is nobody wants to be a superintendent <laughs> anymore, is that it's really hard. And, and what makes you, you know, still so hopeful in schools after all of this time and knowing all the things that, I mean, you were there when your district was possibly going to be taken over by the state. So tell me, like, how do you stay strong and how do you keep wanting to do more? I look at it as I'm a servant. Where do I need to serve and who needs me? So you asked if I would leave ECISD. If I'm needed, if I need to serve in another district and I feel like I'm called to do that, then yes, I would. But mine is that servant leadership. Who needs me? Where do I need to go? And how can I do more? And being a superintendent is being the, you know, you are the ultimate servant because it's your responsibility. That community is depending on your guidance to ensure that the school district gets where they need to go. And so I am very hopeful. Um, is it a hard job? Yes, ma'am. Very hard. But I just know people have to do it. And I just feel led that that's 
what I'm supposed to do. Mm -hmm. That's really neat. It reminds me a lot of your superintendent story about his, his movement to where you are now. So that's really cool. I'm sure that resonates with him. All right. We have five questions. We ask every single guest. And so we're going to ask you those five questions as well. And maybe we'll get to like thread this in with your um, superintendent's uh, uh, answers as well. I, I wish, you know, what we should have done is we should have made him answer for you and you answer for him and see how close we could have gotten. But instead, we'll just ask, ask for you. <laughs> <laughs> so the first question is, uh, the podcast is called More Than a Test because at Amira, our assessment, uh, children are assessed on their reading ability every day, every time they read with Amira. And so we believe that it's more than like a three test that they take three times a year, but it's every day. But every guest hears More Than a Test and thinks it means something else. What, what did you think when you heard More Than a Test? Student focused. I, I just think that it's like I said, we're data driven. We have to be, but we're student informed. Um, we know our students, we know their strengths, we know their weaknesses. They are more than that test. That test is not going to determine who they're going to be in 20 years. So just, just I, I think it's an amazing title because everything should be more than a test. <laughs> That's really great. All right. Tell me this. Um, give me a lit moment in your life, what we call is a, liter a literature moment in your life, a moment of you in a book that is either like your happy place or changed you or is really important to you. I love the book. I'm, I'm going to show you. I actually have it right here. It's called A Thousand No's. Now, I said I was an elementary principal, so <laughs> this is a, a, a kid's yeah. book. But it actually talks about when you get a no, how do you handle that, and how do you move forward, and the collaboration that you need to have to get that yes. So to me, it just, every time I kind of get frustrated because maybe I got a no, I have to rethink my idea. I have to see, maybe let other people into my idea, watch my idea change. And then eventually, if I'm going the way that I need to be, I'm going to get that. So it's an amazing book. And it really does. When I get frustrated, I, that's why it's on my desk. I read it. Oh, <laughs> uh, I haven't read it. I'm going to have to get one. Yes. Thank you so much. Okay. Um, a piece of technology that you love. Um, my cell phone. I, I do. I go and take videos of teachers. I've been doing recordings of um, who's made an impact on them. I take pictures. I can. It's just so easy. <laughs> it is so easy. That's so true. Um, the best advice you've ever been given? Um, I think the best best advice that I've ever been given is maybe it's not all about what you know, but who you are and how you get other people to follow. That's really lovely. And do what they need to do. But um, have it be a, a not a have to, a want to. <laughs> hey, that's no that's no easy thing. Okay, and then last question, and maybe it's the same answer, but that's fine. Um, one book you think everyone should read? Um, okay, so we talked about change, and I said change doesn't bother me, but it does some people. So actually, it's called Your Iceberg is Melting. And it talks about how it's some penguins, and their iceberg is actually melting, and they have to go through a change period but it helps you to understand how change affects different people and how to lead through that. So it's an amazing book if you're leading change. That is amazing. And I think really helpful. Well, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for dealing with tech problems and rescheduling, adding ideas. It has been really lovely to get to know you through this and to have you as a guest on More Than a Test. Thanks for being here. Thanks for joining us on the More Than a Test podcast. If you found this conversation valuable, subscribe to our YouTube channel and find us on your favorite podcast platform. At Amira Learning, we believe every child deserves a chance to become a reader, and we're excited to be part of this conversation. See you next week, and thanks for joining. <laughs>